Welcome to Beware of Spoilers, I am Adam. So, this week is a weird week, because the two new releases, the two big new releases, are Roadrunner, which is an Anthony Bourdain documentary, and, um, uh, Space Jam. Um, if you've listened to past episodes, you know I am a big fan of the original Space Jam, probably because it has a, you know, special place in my heart from my childhood, um, movie doesn't hold up 100% well, but it holds up well enough, and this new one didn't strike my interest. Um, it looked like shit at every stage of production, and as we go along, it kind of felt weird as it was coming close to coming out, so I have no interest in covering that. Um, like, I feel like I could not see the movie, and see the movie, and feel the same way about the movie, so why subject myself to that? Basically my question. Um, so, not covering that. Roadrunner, I was going to cover, but there was a controversy that came out regarding the use of AI to change, to recreate Anthony Bourdain's voice to create new dialogue for a man who committed suicide and his family didn't exactly approve of this. Um, so I was like, nah, fuck that. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know support that movie. So, instead, so we still have an episode this week, um, especially because Loki just ended, and we don't have anything coming until What If, I wanted to put something out. Um, so, we're going to do a top 10. It is the 16th, I believe, the 17th. So, we're about halfway through the year. We're halfway through July. Uh, the year is almost about halfway over, give or take a few days, and I feel like, you know, maybe doing a, um, uh, where we stand, a what a, a, a best of up until this point, um, is a good idea. So, here's here are the rules. Number one, it had to have come out this year. If it's on the list, it came out in 2021, between January 1st and today. Um, I have 18 things on the list. They're not all movies. There are some TV shows. There are some streaming shows. There are some, uh, what's it called? There are some books. It came out this year. It has. It could make the list if, as long as I have consumed it to the point where I can give an intelligent thought on the thing. Um, if I've talked about it on the podcast, you probably know I've read it or seen it or whatever. Um, so that's going to be the general, you know, guiding principle here. Um, we're going to start backwards with ten and work our way up to the top. So number ten, it was going to be top five, but I have a lot more on the list than I thought, and I didn't want to you know, leave more than half off the list, so here we are, um, so we're gonna start with, um, number 10, number 10 being Black Widow, now, Black Widow, I think that had it not been for the strength of other things this year, would have been higher, because I like how it managed to create stakes in a movie about a character whose fate we ultimately know, we know where Natasha ends up, we know how she dies and where she dies and, and, you know, the ultimate resolution of her character arc is all things that are set in stone to an extent. Um, but that said, we, we still are able to have stakes in this movie. Um, and, uh, and that, and, you know, the emotional impact of it feels real. Plus, I really love uh, Florence Pugh's, um, what's it called, Florence Pugh's uh, Yelena. Um, just the sarcasm and the, like, the, like, her attitude through the entire movie is just so fun, 
and she's a character who it's going to be fun to see her grow and evolve in these movies as we go forward. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that goes. Um, so if you want further thoughts on that, you can go back and check the review from the other day, or from last weekend for Black Widow. Um, I'm actually going to see it again this weekend, because it's such a good movie, and I, I want to go to the movies again. Um, so I might go and see Black Widow again. But it, it, it's very entertaining. Um, and it's just... It, it, it's a movie that when you watch it, and you sit down in the theater, and I think the reason why it... Another reason why it, I would have put it higher is... Um, it felt like a, a return to normalcy because it was a crowded movie theater and it was the first time I've seen that in a very long time. Um, maybe that's just influencing it. Maybe if I see it again at home, it won't rank as high. Um, but, you know, we'll see when that day comes. Number nine is, again, a Marvel Studios production, uh, Loki. Um, and the reason why I put Loki so low is because um, it feels like the show was designed to, it's almost a prelude, I believe I said that when I was discussing it, um, in a review, a few, um, last week, at, last week, earlier this week, actually, um, where it feels like, I, I called the episode prelude, because it feels like Fury of Firestorm, it feels like, um, any of these prelude comics that Marvel puts out before a movie, that really gets designed to give a little bit of backstory, but not too much, um, just that way if someone reads the comic, they have a little bit extra information, um, that said, this also feels like required reading to an extent to fully enjoy the movies. It feels like uh, a, a class to sit through to get to it. Now, Tom Hiddleston is great. Sofia Martino is great in it. Um, and, and, you know, everyone seems to be, you know, having a blast. But, again, it feels more like, you know, the, the bell has been rung from Batman v Superman. But, like, a six-hour version of that designed to just get you ready for here's what's coming next, um, in the, in the MCU, um, and really, had they shortened it and did it as, like, a series of shorts that were put out with the movies, that would have been interesting, too, because you probably could have done that version, you wouldn't have had as deep character development, but you could have done that version, and we'll see if season two maybe makes season one better as we see it come along, but we won't know until that happens, so until then, it's down here at number nine, um, Number eight's a movie. Um, it was released in theaters. However, I did not see it in theaters. I watched it on HBO Max. That movie is Godzilla vs. Kong, which got a lot of shit for the human stories, and I understand that. I completely understand that. Um, because the, I'm not here to watch the human stories. I can tune out during the human stories. I think what this movie does well um, is it makes the human story um, so pointless to the you know the actual monster fight that you can tune it out and not feel like you're missing anything. Like, you're here to watch Godzilla fight Kong, and Godzilla does, in fact, fight Kong. So you do get your money's worth, and you do get you do get to see what you came to see, which is really all that you can ask for in the movie. Um, and the monster fight's great. I do really love the use of, um, I believe it was Hong Kong in the third act, as the set piece for that fight. Um, because, like, the, the neons and, and, you know, the, uh, the buildings and, and all the colors really look really cool, and it makes the action really pop in an interesting way. Um, so, and I, I did, I, I, we all knew it was coming, the Mechagodzilla, um, confrontation, but still, it was still, you know, very cool to see, um, you know, in a modern movie. Um, so, you know, definitely, you know, worthy of the top ten. Uh, number seven's a book. 
It's the first of two Star Wars books that made the list. Um, number seven is The Rising Storm, which is one of the High Republic books that came out last month. Um, when I did the review of it, I discussed how this book um, really, you know, captured my imagination in a unique way in so much as it showcased, um, what's it called? It showcased what the High Republic's original tagline about the Force came to be. And this one, unlike the other two entries that were on the list of books I've read but didn't make this list, which are The Light of the Jedi and Into the Dark, um, this one really felt like they were, um, you know, there were stakes to it and it made me want to immediately read the next one, um, which isn't out yet, and we don't know when it's coming, but it's definitely going to be, you know, so I'm going to immediately pick up. I know there's another one coming out about Lorna D, an audio adventure. I'm so looking forward to that, and this book really, really does that in a great way. Um, so, and, and all the characters feel, you know, in, are interesting, um, and again, like Light of the Jedi, but better, the... A good amount of this book takes place at the fair in in this it's really interesting kind of set piece where all the Jedi are split up and they're all trying to help people as the uh, as the Nihil attack uh, and it, it's such an interesting way of portraying this conflict between the Nihil and what the Nihil stand for in the Outer Rim compared to the Jedi and the Republic um, it just works on every angle um, so that would be number seven number six is Star Wars Victory's Price which is the third and final um, book in the trilogy, um, Alphabet Squadron. Alphabet Squadron in the new canon has kind of taken the role of, um, what was it called in the old canon? Um, X-Wing. Where it's, you know, the war in Star Wars. Where it's the story of soldiers who aren't Force-sensitive being forced to put, forcing themselves through the ringer to, um, to, to really, uh, you know, adapt and, and, and become something greater. And, um, like, the story of Yerika, um, defecting to the, um, to, back to the Empire, and using that to, to take down, you know, the Empire. The final battle going to Coruscant, um, the side view of the Battle of Jakku, uh, and then how these characters finally end up, um, all, all together at the end, um, and, uh, what's it called? And really gel together, um, also makes this an interest like made this a really great ending and it, it's such a sound send-off especially when we see all these characters do end up getting back together in the novelization of uh, the rise of skywalker um it really does give us this you know this cohesive sense of ending um that these characters did what they did and they did the right thing and it, it really you know it's such like it's such a great send-off for these characters that just had to make the list um number five is wandavision and uh, the reason for that is uh, WandaVision really did play with our expectations in an interesting way. And they completely did whatever it wanted to anyway. And that's not a negative. That is, you know, one of the best things a TV show can do is take what you're expecting from it, go out of its way in marketing to make it seem like it's going to be one thing, and then just do an in-depth character study where we're just going to sit here and we're going to spend eight episodes with Wanda getting to know her, what happened to her after um, Infinity War and Endgame and, and, you know, her coming into her own going forward. What does this mean for the, you know, for the universe? What does this mean for everyone going forward? 
that doesn't matter. This is about Wanda and making sure that Wanda, you know, can process her grief in a, in, in a, in a healthy way. And I really like that they did not shy away from keeping her as the bad guy of this. Where it's Wanda versus herself, but Wanda really is the source of all the, all the, the, uh, the bad that happens in, um, in this town in New Jersey, the town whose name I'm forgetting, uh, Westview. Um, so it, they, they do a, um, and everything about it is so well done. All the homages to past sitcoms, um, all of the, you know, all of the, the flashbacks, um, everything about it is, is so perfectly done that this show, you know, ranked as high as it did. Uh, number four is a book by Carolyn Kepnes, uh, You Love Me, which is the third book that comes out of You. So it's You, then Hidden Bodies, and then You Love Me. Um, continuing the story of Joe Goldberg, um, who, if you haven't read the books, you're going to be familiar with the show on, um, on Netflix of the, same na- of the same name. The first season kind of mirrors the first book, then season two kind of diverges completely, and season three is going to be totally different. Um... Joe moves up to the Pacific Northwest to kind of live out a life, you know, in quiet. Um, he, he goes to the library, meets a woman, falls in love with her, and kind of tries to stay away from falling into his murderous and stalky ways, but he, um, but he doesn't. And I think that one of the things that uh, Kepnes, or I think that's how I pronounce her name, she does such a good job of portraying Joe as an unreliable narrator in so much as he's telling you everything because the you he's speaking through throughout, throughout this book is not you, the reader. It's, he's telling it to the, um, to the person he's in love with. Um, so it, it's interesting how, how that kind of plays, like how that plays out. But because he's telling that person, there are things he's withholding. And that information slowly comes out over the course of the book, and it, it, it because there are things that he doesn't even want her to know. Um, and watching as as this whole thing unfolds is you know is a, a cool thing. It's not as good as the first two books, but it's still very solid. I, I didn't like the whole subplot with the uh, the the guy who works for the Quins. That felt kind of silly. Um, uh, I didn't like I like the whole thing where he goes like down south, and then the ending kind of goes completely on its head. Um, that was where the book kind of lost me a little bit, was the ending that, you know, where the daughter was in love with him, and that flips completely and, you know, kind of, you know, didn't work for me. Um, but besides that, the book is very good. Um, so, number three is Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the reason this is so high is the last two episodes. Um, specifically, um... I think it's gonna be, I'm going to be hard-pressed to find another instance that, you know, is as good in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the sequence where, um, what's it called? Where, um, Isaiah Bradley tells his story to Sam, and it's, it's not a flashback. They could have done a flashback, but they didn't. It's just Isaiah talking, and you can hear the emotion in his voice as he tells the story of how he, you know, he went in to rescue the POWs. And he got back and he was thrown in jail. And he, it mirrors the story of uh, Captain America. And he got thrown in jail for it. Uh, and then even more impactful is then watching Black Widow. Where we again hear this same story. Where he goes in 
and he rescues he rescues soldiers, and he does his job, and they throw him in jail by that's the Red Guardian. But again, that's the Soviets, so we expect that behavior from the bad guys. But the American government did that to um, to Isaiah. And the final episode, that sequence where um, at the end when they bring Isaiah to the museum to to look at you know the exhibit where they they finally talk about him and they they don't erase him anymore from the uh from from the past so well done and the entire like the like there's so many little things throughout this that work so well the uh the naming of u.s agent the you know the introduction of madam hydra the you know it, it, it's just so perfectly woven together um it really excites me for captain america four when that inevitably comes Number two is In the Heights, and number this is so high up because I did not anticipate crying in a movie theater over a musical um, this year, and yet here we are, you know, I was, you know, crying in a movie theater over this musical. Um, so, what, what we're referring to in this case is, um, we have... Uh, the scene right before, right, I think it's right after intermission when the blackout happens and, um, the, the old lady is, is dying, um, when she's, you know, her song as she's dying, talking about leaving Cuba and just staying in New York until things get better, and then going back, but never going back because it never did get better, and just working and asserting her dignity where she could, and it's just it's 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 such a great immigrant story that is relatable to anyone who is who knows the struggles of of people who come to America because this is you know this is a story that like my grandmother relates to and it's like I hear this story my mom when I when I told my mom about this she's like that was what your grandparents said when they came from Italy they said when when it gets better they'll go back but they they never did they just stayed in America and it's you know it's that kind of thing where it's it's such a relatable story, and then him leaving, and you know, it, it's it, it it is such a well done musical with great choreography, great you know, you know everything about it is just so well done. Um, the cinematography is great too. Um, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, it's not on HBO Max anymore, but you can definitely get it on. Um, it will be back on HBO Max um, in a little bit. When it goes, um, when it goes there for its, its permanent home, um, but it's it's very much worth it for you to watch this movie. Um, and number one, Summer of Soul, um, which is the documentary that uh, is still my contender for best documentary feature. Um, granted, I haven't seen a second one. Um, it's a documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival in 1969, which attracted almost as many people as uh, Woodstock um, in the same summer but gets completely brushed under the rug and forgotten about um, and uh, you know how the cultural impact that it had and the impact it had on music and how you can really you know use this festival to track the uh, um, the evolution of, uh, of uh, music um, it, it's it, it's such a well done documentary with beautifully restored footage and beautifully restored audio to the point where it's like it looks better than when you when you watch a sporting event and they show, you know, games 
back in the early 2000s and late 90s, it doesn't look that good. It's it, it's just so beautifully restored and, and so well done um, that if you have not seen this documentary, you have to see this documentary. Um, so that's my top 10 um, so far this year. To go back through, uh, number 10, Black Widow. Number 9, Loki. Number 8, Godzilla vs. Kong. Number 7, Star Wars The Rising Storm. Number 6, Star Wars Victory's Price. Number 5, uh, WandaVision. Number 4, You Love Me. Number 3, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Number 2, In the Heights. Number 1, Summer of Soul. Uh, Cruella was a close miss. Um... Cruella was a, it was a very it was a very close miss, um, but it, it did it did barely 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 make it not make it onto the list. Um, had had it you know, I think that had it been a slightly better movie, and it wasn't just my my love of you know setting it in the seventies and that seventies um, that seventies uh, like punk aesthetic seventies uh, British punk aesthetic. I think had it, you know, leaned into that slightly more and had a slightly better story, maybe it would have made the top ten, but it was very, it was very close. Um, let's see, what else was so close? Uh, Lady Gaga was very close to making the list. Um, Fast 9 was very close to making the list. Infinity Train Book 4 was very close to making the list, but no cigar. Uh, so next week, um, do I have a movie for next week already? Uh, let me take a look. Do showtimes next weekend. Snake Eyes next weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, That's going to be pretty cool, I think. Um, So we'll we'll see next weekend how that goes. Um, And until then, have a great rest of your week.